Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we're talking about Titan. Titan. French for titanium. (laughs) (laughs) That is French. (laughs) Uh, Written and directed by Julia Ducournau. Yes. Uh, who's this shining light of modern horror, particularly a, a kind of emerging feminist horror over the last mm-hmm. few years. She made Raw uh, in 2016, which I've not seen. You have. Yes. Which was about a cannibal. And we just watched a video essay on it by one of your students. That's right, which is great, I think. What's the name of your student? Uh, Paulina Zamanova. Okay. And uh, I thought it was very illuminating. And actually, I think it was a very illuminating for Titan as well. Yeah. Well, so like I said, I haven't seen Raw. I must say, after having seen Titan, I'm not that interested in seeing Raw. Ah. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, well, I was so interested in Titan early on, and then I felt a kind of longer as the film went on. Um, oh, God, no. I found it endlessly, endlessly horrifying. I mean, you know, this is not the type of film I like. You know, I had. I think I had my my hands and my eyes and. But oh, you were jumping, jumping all over the seat. shop. Yeah, yeah I, I hate this type of film. I must <laughs> say. Uh, that said, it is fascinating. Yes, I think it is interesting. The thrills kind of died down for me, but I think that's also that's part of the point, right? Mm. The film starts off with a lot of shock and a lot of violence and a lot of sexual thrills as well, and then turns into something else. It kind of sets those up so it can undercut what it sets up early on, I think. Yes. So the film begins with a young girl uh, annoying her dad in the back of a car and it causes a car crash at high speed and the kid ends up with a plate in her head. Mm. Cut to probably 15, 20 years later when she's a young adult, played by Agathe Roussel, and she's uh, working at a motor show. We see she's a dancer, and a, a, but she's, she's one of the ladies there who is there to be in a state of undress, and she's dancing sexually on this car. Mm. She's found attractive by both sides of the gender divide. She's got fans. She's got fans, yeah. They're, they're seeking autographs. And we see her kill one of them mm. immediately. And it kind of sets up, to me, it implies that what we're going to find is, you know, men are toxic, women have to fight them off. That's sort of what it's setting up early on. And the violence with which she fights them off feels justified. Or, mm. Well... Maybe justified is going too far. In a horror context, it feels justified because that's what horror does. Mm. Um, it's then revealed that she's actually a serial killer. She's killed other people in the preceding few weeks or months. And after killing some more, she ends up uh, on the run from the police and, in attempting to hide from them, takes on the disguise, basically turns herself into um, this young boy who's been missing. There are these posters all around, these young people that have been missing. They went missing when they were kids, and they've been aged up to what they might look like now at the age of 17, 18. Mm. She says, oh, maybe I could turn myself into one of those. Convinced the police and the dad that I am this son, and get away from the police. And so the film turns into an interesting uh, sort of familial drama, where the focus very heavily comes on the dad, who believes he has his son back, and... The girl's attempts to not be discovered. It's, it gets interesting. The horror sort of drops, right? It dies down. I think it's interesting from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, you know, because the thing is that what you're seeing in the very first shot is this father very annoyed at this child 
who's actually being really obnoxious, and the father can't pay attention to the road, and then the father goes to slap this child down, yeah, mm. kind of as the result of a slap, and of course the car overturns, and the child, you know, needs to have a titanium plate put on their brain, right? And so there's something interesting from the beginning because that behavior in a boy might not have resulted in the father turning around. Yeah, it's kind of, it's behavior that's obnoxious, it's particularly obnoxious in a girl. Though, at that moment, I actually wasn't clear whether she was a girl or not. Well, as we were just discussing before, I wasn't clear on the gender of the dad, because I thought it was the kid's mum ah. driving the car. No, I think it's, to me, it's quite clear that it's, 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 it's the father. Well, I and don't... I think it's important that it's the father. Well, I don't agree with you that it's particularly obnoxious behaviour in a girl, and I... I I don't even agree necessarily that it's especially obnoxious behaviour in a child. It is what kids do, and it does piss off the parents when they're trying to drive a car. Um, but I, it doesn't strike me as uh, kind of unusually obnoxious in either a boy or a girl. Well, I thought it was in both, but particularly a girl, because the child is defiant. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the father is telling her to stop. Yeah, and many times, and you could see how irritated they are, and the child keeps pushing and pushing and pushing. And, you know, my view is that that would be very, you know, uh, uh, annoying in a boy, uh, and it would be, like, particularly annoying to a father in a girl. Mm. But that's maybe just the way that we read gender, I think, you know, because there is a, um, a confrontation there that you might expect, or you might more readily accept of a boy than of a girl. Okay. I'm not willing. To, I'm not. I'm not interested in continuing the argument. I don't think it's a major point. I think it's a major point because you know the, the whole of the ending of the film is a kind of reconciliation with the father. Yeah, but I don't think that it's interesting enough whether it's this is particularly obnoxious behaviour in a girl. I'm, well, relationship again, with the father is one thing. I mean, again, I think gender is absolutely crucial to this film. Of course. It so is. this thing about what boys are expected to do, what girls are expected to do you know, what socially acceptable behaviour is and how the various ways in which it's transgressed. That is part of what the film is about. That's actually a major... That is, but, you know... Yes, it is. But so, I I'm not sure it's crucial to this particular moment. Well, I think it is. And, you know, and the film begins that way. And I think it's important that the film begins that way because then it sets up patternings that unfold in the rest of the film. Can you describe those patternings? Well, so, for example, this thing about you're initially not being sure whether it's a boy or it's a girl then kind of she goes from being a girl to passing as a boy. Uh, you know, the behavior that is acceptable in girls, but, you know, uh, not acceptable in boys, or not acceptable in boys, but it's acceptable in girls, whichever way you want it. She often kills people by being girly. Yeah, she embraces them and then brings out the knife. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, even a lot of her murders are a play on gender expectations. Mm. Um, something that was raised in your student's video essay that we watched mm. was the idea that in Raw, a monstrous character, a cannibal, who would ordinarily in a horror film be someone from like a savage tribe mm. or some result of a medical experiment that turned them into a cannibal, is made human. Mm. Very human and relatable. You understand this person. And, and uh, she shows a clip of... Um, this girl being subject to a home invasion at mm -hmm. the start, you know, so we, and we relate to her, right? It's the idea. And I thought, you know, that's it's so the opposite of the relationship with the girl here, I think. Uh, Alexia, the character's name is, in that I think it's a project of the film that you are not meant to be able to 
identify with her, really, sympathise with her. Actually, I think she's she's meant to be, uh, well, monstrous, I suppose, you know, in the way that the girl in Raw, as your student suggests, mm. is not. Um, and actually, one of the things that's overturned, as I said earlier, I think the film is setting up initially, this idea of toxic masculinity, is completely overturned. Not completely, but many made more complex. The father in particular, he's, he's masculine, he's injecting steroids, he runs this uh, fire department, but he deeply misses his son. He's openly emotional about getting him back, so he thinks, um, you know, I'll die to protect you, and so on. Desperate to connect mm. with him. He's um, much more fragile than she is, yeah. even in a very vulnerable state. Exactly. So it opens this complexity in that male character in particular. And I think it it denies the female character that kind of complexity. I don't um, think it denies it. I think it brings a, a different kind of complexity to the woman. Okay. I mean, I thought Paulina's whole discussion of the monstrous feminine... You know, of how, you know, being feminine is in a way, you know, kind of being in itself monstrous. But then how the film underlines it because, you know, she gets pregnant, you know, and there's petrol coming out of her, you know, breasts, right? So, you know, this, yeah, the the mother's milk that she's building up is petrol. Oil, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's when her water bursts, what bursts forth is oil, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's this black, sleek, yeah. Mm-hmm. So so a woman's body is underlined to be kind of monstrous uh, by the film. And also because in this case, it's also part machine. I mean, I think I don't know if you mentioned that like she has sex with a car. I didn't mention that. So, yeah, early on, after you've seen her dancing at this motor show, she feels some kind of call to her. And she goes out to this car that she's been dancing on, which is like it's a sexy car. It's some old Cadillac, I think it's covered in mm-hmm. flames, you mm-hmm. know, decals. And she gets in the back, and you don't see initially the car's bouncing like you know hydraulics. Mm. Um, well, it's what it looks like. It's uh, a very funny scene. I thought this was funny. Yeah, I think I think it is designed to elicit a certain degree of humour. And then you see a couple of shots in the back of the car where her her arms are bound up in the seat belts, mm. and you know her legs are spread, and she's engaging in sex with the car. Yes. And then during the course of the rest of the film, she develops an unusual pregnancy because yes. of it. That's right. Um, I, th- I, th- I mean, that was a, the, the film makes conceptual sense, but narratively, or, you know, as a story, it doesn't quite, right? Like, I mean, I think, why is she having sex with a car? Is there something about her titanium plate, you know, that has changed her? Or... Well, there is a shot right at the start before we go to her being uh, an adult, where she comes out of the hospital having been uh, in- installed with this plate. And she yes. hugs the car. Yes. You know, she puts her head right up against it. And she kisses the car, in fact. Yes. So that's kind of... That's a connection that... I'm not sure that we've seen that connection before. I think that the implication is that this plate in her head has enabled this or brought it out or created this connection that she feels. I know, but how a car has sentience, you know, and sexual desire. Well, it's magic, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean... <laughs> anyway, that's what I'm saying. It, the film works on a conceptual level that actually doesn't make sense. I mean, you know, even a fantasy film or whatever would have given you some explanation of how this... I'm not sure it would. I, I, I think it is purely in the realms of magic and, and... Well, but there's no other sense of any other type of magic in the film. No, but I don't know why there has to be in order for you to just go with 
Well, she got pregnant by a car. Let's see what happens. Yeah, well, I don't. Uh, I I don't think our audiences would buy if she got pregnant by a car. Let's see what happens. I think you know you would you would have to give some reason for it, or you know get, do some world building that would explain how a car can have sentience and sexual desire. And in fact, no other cars in the film subsequently do. Right, it's just presented as a as a fait accompli that this one does. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm not sure why you don't why you can't give it the go with the flight of fancy about. Well, it. I did. Okay. I, when watching the film, but um, but this is where I'm saying that the film to me works conceptually, and not narratively. Mm-hmm. You know, because I do think that in order to kind of create a world in which cars have sentience and desire. I would need something more. It would have to be a different world. Was actually, this has seemed to be exactly like our world, except you know, cars respond to her. They don't respond to anybody else. No. So I'm not sure it's a good objection to the film, really. Um, well, it's mine. No, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, you know, uh, and I see, and I suspect I like the film more than you. I mean, I think it's really fascinating, kind of, uh, in all the things it does. I mean, particularly. You know about gender and body horror, and you know the monstrous feminine that the film kind of is almost would fit into, you know, a whole pantheon of you know feminist literature on horror, uh, from Linda Williams to Barbara Creed, you know, to mm. to everyone really, uh, and the imagery is absolutely fascinating, uh, and there there are scenes that I think are very, very powerful and, again, have to do with gender. The scene with the firemen all dancing, like they're all hopped up onto testosterone, right, kind of jumping around, dancing to techno. And then, you know, they they still think he's a man, she's a man, Adrian, and they put her up on top of the, 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 the fire truck. And then she dances, not only in a very feminine way, but in a very striptease way. Yeah, absolutely. She's back in. It's a reflection of that scene right at the start, where she's dancing on the car. It's not as sexual because she's not like lying down, but it's the same scene basically. It's it's pretty sexual. I mean, she, you know, she puts a a diamond on her vagina to to have you know to frame it. You know, I think uh, it's the same scene. Yeah, Yeah. the film is 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 fascinating on those levels. Um, Do you think it's a feminist film? Completely. Totally. I think it has a feminist project. This is what I was getting at by saying this is the construction of the character of someone who, who I feel is meant to be someone basically impossible to relate to. Because I think the, the part of the project is to go, men are monsters in films all the time in horror, and we don't have to relate to Jason Voorhees or whoever the fuck it is. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, we all, women aren't allowed to, to not be relatable in some way. And this film goes, no, we're going to have a woman who is a monster, is a monster just like the men are who you don't feel the need to relate to. I think that's part of the project. Well, yeah, I don't know. I have to think about that a bit more. I mean, she's definitely not... Well, I couldn't relate to her, let's put it this way. However, her feelings are always highlighted. She is psychologized. Hmm. Yeah, and she does go through a psychological development in the film. She learns to love. Right, which you get the sense that she hadn't before. I mean, she set her parents on fire, right? <laughs> so, and even, I mean, I think the whole scene with the other stripper who's got the, um, how do you call it? Oh, uh, nipple piercings. The nipple piercings. You know, she's presented as being really nice. They fall in love, and then she becomes brutal, 
right? So you see her as someone kind of uh, who has no sense of others. Yeah, to, to someone who actually, by the end of the film, has learned to love. Yeah? Yeah, she's learned to, to find some connection with this dad. Yes. And let him in. That's right. So I think, um, well, I suppose, you know, it's a little bit like Frankenstein as well. I mean, you get that in Frankenstein, <laughs> don't you? Uh, but you're not complete. So she's not someone you identify with. But she is someone who's given a psychology and a development and a kind of a catharsis, I suppose. Uh, um, you know, she learns to love and then dies. Spoiler. <laughs> uh, uh, and that's interesting because the film begins with her, but then it really ends with the father figure who's not her real father, who's lost the child and now has another chance with a new child. Hmm. Yeah, because that's how the film ends. Yeah, with this man embracing this cyborgian child, who's actually like a real baby, but has a saw ridge, titanium spine. Spine. Yeah. Yes, a new life has been created. A new type, new type of life has been created. Yes. Um, so um, I also think it's possible to see quite an unfeminist message in it, though, in that this is a, a, a mute, uh, psychopathic woman. You know, who is killing um, for completely unjustified reasons. I don't think um, they're unjustified. Oh, well, all the, I mean, so many murders at the start really have no purpose. The, and I think that's part of the point of the film. The, um, the first one is the sexually aggressive guy. And the whole scene is presented with a great deal of danger. Yeah. Now yes. tell me about the others. Um... Why did she kill her parents? Why did she kill the girl? Why did she kill those four people in the house? Well, They're not justified murders. And, I, and again, I think this is part of the thing of constructing her as this amoral monster. I think the father is justified. You know, you get the sense that the father really... There's something creepy about him watching and looking, and he's the cause of her disfigurement. The, the only one that, you know, I'm, I'm less certain of is the one with the other dancer who picks her up and brings her to the house, right? Now, I forget what sparked that murder, yeah? Uh, But something did. And then, of course, she has to kill the other people in the house, you know, as a matter of course. I mean, I think what sparked that murder, the one on the couch, Mm. is she sees the ear. I mean, I think it is that... I think that is the point. There is no real spark to it. She's seen the ear, and the reason that I mention the ear is because we've already seen her stab the guy in the ear at the start. Mm. Um, with her, you know, her her main weapon is this uh, uh, sort of metal stake, I suppose, that she has. Yes. Um, and it's when you see the it's ear... Like a metal chopstick or something. Yeah. And you see her ear as this girl's lying on her lap, and and it's a clear reminder of the previous murder that you've seen. And she just goes for it. I mean, completely out of nowhere. You jumped, as you did with pretty much everything. Yes, <laughs> but as did I. You know, I wasn't expecting that one at all. Mm. And... And it really is sparked from nothing. And I think this is this is the point, and this is why ultimately this can be seen as unfeminist in a way, because it is constructing this this monstrous woman, and ultimately there's a kind of moment of triumph in her death at the end. Mm. She dies, and a new life is brought into the world, and for the guy who deserves it. Mm. Yes, I suppose I can lend myself to that reading. That wouldn't be my reading. Mm. Um, and I think there is something. Uh, unusual and interesting about having an amoral heroine 
I think it could also be seen, and I'm not saying I do see it like this because I've not really worked through this, but it's worth considering the idea that it could be seen as anti-trans or untrans friendly. In well, that it, well, it uses a number of tropes of. So if you remember, like boys don't cry. There's that whole thing about wrapping the body up, which yes. is exactly what she does here. She binds her breasts, and you know it's and it's she binds her pregnancy. Yeah, she binds her pregnancy. I mean, actually, that's something that I didn't buy for a while because. She binds it so tightly, and it's such a large pregnancy mm. that you think, "How is she hiding this?" But again, I think it's something that I eventually went with. Mm. Um, I didn't go with it as quickly as I did the pregnancy happening. <laughs> but um, the, the, what that binding does is it it tears into her body. You know, her breasts are scarred and constantly wounded. There's this idea that you know she, she at no point is she trans. That's not what the film is doing. She is a woman the whole way through, and she identifies as a woman. There's no there's no idea that she is actually changing her gender she is passing and this is one of the things that anti-trans people um particularly anti-male to female this is something that they always say you know the whole bathroom bill thing in america men are just trying to get into women's bathrooms to predate on them Mm. that sort of thing now this is not what's going on here but the idea of passing just it's like cross-dressing right the idea that it's it's just a costume but it's not because you know it's accompanied by all of these physical uh i mean i thought it, it kind of it worked very interestingly metaphorically you know as a as a trans uh a depiction because there's someone very ill at ease with their body cutting themselves into it causing themselves terrible pain to be you know mm. to, to have it another way um i mean it would be very interesting to have like a trans person speak on the film but i think you know certainly kind of it evoked uh a lot of why what i understand you know, to be um, stages, uh, you know, kind of very powerfully, I thought. Well, like I say, it's a, it's a, it's a tricky one um, because ultimately the film is not showing a trans person. No. You know, that's not who she is, right? No. So it's, you can't read it too much in that direction. So there's something just about her face and her hair uh, and her, her stride that doesn't sit easily with traditional notions of femininity, even at the very beginning of the film. How so? Well, I mean, she was wearing... She had on, you know, that haircut... How do you call it? Where it's long at the back and short at the front, right? She's very clear about showing off her scar. Yes, the large scar on the side of her head. Um, It's kind of punk dress, right? That's what I associated with. Well, yeah, it could, you know, but there's something about the way that she's filmed with the cheekbones. Mm. There's... You know, to me, there was something masculine about her look at the, you know, from the very beginning. And I think there's something, you know, also with the way that the child is from. I mean, I think, you know, this idea of being in between or, hmm. uh, you know, possibly mistaken for either is there from the meek, from the very beginning. And then, of course, you know, kind of it, it reaches a particular four where she's got a pass for a man as a pregnant woman, which is kind of almost like, you know, pushing it to a particular kind of extreme. Yeah, because it's such a heavy denial of what's feminine about her that she's pregnant mm. and she has to complete, she has to tape that down. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not sure. But I, f- I thought that was, you know, kind of very interesting. And it's interesting that her first thought, you know, when she sees her poster is, oh, I could pass for a man. You know, like, mm. you know, all she's got to do is cut her hair, right? Yeah. So it's and break like, her nose. It, yeah, it's not something that I'm projecting. I mean, the film is playing with that, I think, from the from the beginning. Um, and also, um, 
I thought it was interesting that the father figure at the end is old, that he needs uh, to inject steroids, steroids, you know, to 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 maintain you know, his masculinity. I mean, there's kind of almost like a cyborgian element to both of those bodies, right? Mm. You know, his maintained by a kind of you know a chemical, hers being transformed by intercourse with a machine. Yeah. Well, yeah, the, it's roundly a body horror of sorts. And um, the idea of bodies changing, bodies being changed, whether by will or not, is, is there throughout the film. Um, it starts off with you know, the, her cutting her hair. Um, and obviously the transformations that she goes through are quite obvious and quite extreme. But as you say, the, the dad is also, it's a form of body modification, injecting steroids and working out. He wants to keep up with his job because he's getting on a bit and, and defying old age. That's that's That has elements of that too, right? He's not happy with the body in which he's encased. In fact, this is something else that Paulina said in her essay. The idea, it's, In fact, she started off the essay with the idea of bodies are things in which we are encased and they're the root mm. of so much horror cinema. Mm. You know, it's, it's absolutely something that this film is full of. The other thing that I thought was interesting about Paulina's essay was, you know, Kristeva's notion of, you know, the, the abject. Yeah, kind of where she says, you know, that which disturbs identity systems order, it does not respect orders, borders, positions, rules. Yeah. Um, and I thought that kind of, you know, having a menstruating body that menstruates petrol with, you know, petrol coming out of the woman's breasts with you know a pregnancy that's ripping her apart and also where she scratches herself and what she reveals is actually not some wound but actually an emptiness yeah when she scratches herself you just see a hole yeah well i think you get a metal shell underneath it don't you it eventually comes out to be a metal shell but initially initially all you see is nothing yeah that's true initially just there's yeah blackness and i think some oil comes out as normal yeah, so so I think kind of, you know, the film is like a fascinating kind of dramatization of all of those, you know, feminist uh, ideas relating to body horror, mm. you know, and it's kind of different uh, presentations. Um, to me, it kind of worked in bringing out almost all the worst taboos you can imagine, right? Like, so first, a serial killer, yeah, and kind of what that represents. Secondly, that the serial killer is a woman. That this female serial killer does not distinguish between genders. She's just as happy to kill women as men. Um, that, you know, this, gets, this body gets pregnant by a machine. But then, you know, that she allows herself to be protected by this real patriarchal figure. And actually, the mm. film underlines... How patriarchal he says. Here he says, I'm God. Mm. Yeah, because he's the captain of this fire station. And then that it becomes incestuous. Yeah, Mm. you know, that kind of this father son game turns incestuous, which horrifies him. Yeah, I thought that was all like it becomes incestuous after it has become absolutely clear that she is not his son. But, he, he but, the, the towel has fallen at that point. Yeah. He's seen a breast. You know, we, it's absolutely you know, he, he and he said, admittedly, he said, no matter what, you are my son. I well, don't exactly. care who I you mean, are. I mean, the film is so interesting so, about that because, you know, it's revealed in stages, but it's denied in stages. Mm-hmm. So actually, the relationship becomes one of 
feeling rather than one of bodies. Mm. Yeah. But nonetheless, the father-son myth or game is maintained. So actually, when they begin to kiss, it does feel very incestuous. Yes, and he responds as if it is incestuous. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. It does It does feel that way. Um, and I wondered what if you know how far the film was going to go with it. Mm. Um, I also think it's interesting that actually the father, you know, in hindsight, has worked out much earlier than I initially thought that she's an imposter. Mm. Um, but actually, you know, for me, when I was watching the film, that only became clear in the scene where her towel falls and it can't be denied. Mm. Um, but actually thinking back on it, you know, all those denials about, particularly with the one fireman who works for him, who, who has figured it out and wants to speak to the dad about it, wants to address it, says, never speak about my son and all this. Um, you know, those denials, in hindsight, I think, do reveal a willful denial in him or something that he already knows. I mean, especially when the mum comes in as well and she immediately pegs it. Yes, so which signifies or which tells or speaks that actually he has a need for this son. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's not, the question is not whether he is the real son or not, is, you know, what, what necessitates his having a need for a son, yeah? What is this, where does this need come from? And you get a little bit of a flashback where, yeah, that he that he leave his son die, yeah, in a fire because you have this image or, you know, which is a projection of his thought of a child in a closet being burned, holding on to a toy, a, a toy, right? So does he feel responsible? I mean, the the film has very interesting suggestions. Also, that his son, who he's lost probably through his own negligence. Uh, the film at least suggests that uh, was a trans was a feminine son who liked to wear dresses. Yes, yeah, so those shots of the photo album. That's right. Mm. You know, so all of that I thought was kind of you know really fascinating. Mm. I'm not. You know. In fact, you see that needing him right from the start when you think about it. The first time you see him, the dad. This is is when um, he's in the police station and the officer says to him, "We'll get a DNA test." just to be sure, and he says, do you think I don't recognise my son? Yes. And then the blind is lifted or whatever, he's, it's revealed that uh, he, he sees Alexia. Um, and you know, what you see in him, I did think this at the time, what you see in him is not immediate recognition. It's not, I mean, okay, it wouldn't be, I think this is how I rationalised it as well, it wouldn't be immediate recognition because it's clearly been 10 or 15 years since the loss of the child. Mm. I think it's, I think it's, you see on the posters, I think it's 7 to 17 is the mm. age that, you know, it's been mm. aged up that far. So you wouldn't say, oh yes, immediately, necessarily. Um, but that can also absolutely be read as an immediate acknowledgement, an immediate realisation, no, this is not my son, but I'm going to go with it. Mm. The film has really interesting kind of doublings if you look at it. So, you know, this is a father who loves his son, yeah, who is very feminine. You get the sense that Alexia's father, did, did, he's never shown to have love for her, right? There's always a kind of both um, like a knowing firmness and disgust and impatience, you know, and and she's quite, or at least a little bit butchy, right? Mm. So the feminine son, the slightly butchy girl, the the father who loves, the father who doesn't. They're kind of like interesting parallels, you know. Um, 
yeah, the father who helps at the end. Uh, uh, and, you know, so one she kills, the other one helps her bring life. Yeah, they're kind of, yeah, structurally in the film, they're very interesting things that respond and play off each other, I think. Hmm. Yeah, in fact, the dad's actions towards Alexia could be read as the actions of someone trying to humanise a monster like Frankenstein. Yeah, well, um, I mean, I think I think I read The Father anyway as seeing a second chance at finding meaning in his own life. Because actually there's mm. that moment where he thinks it's all lost, where he sets himself on fire. There are a couple of moments like that. There's another one where he, it seems, tries to overdose on steroids. Yes, deliberately. When, uh, when she flees. Yes. Um... So, so, anyway, it's a very interesting film. I'd, I'd say, I, I, you know, I, I have to see it again to make sense of it, except I found it really too painful to watch, really. Yeah. So the bits that you were, you know, wincing at and don't want to see a second time were the bits I would watch a second time because I thought they were wild and I love that sort of thing. Yes, um, you love that sort of thing. I really don't. I mean, um, you know, I, I don't like that kind of brutal, grotesque. I mean, I always, I force myself to watch it. Um... But it's certainly not a, a pleasure for me to watch. Hmm. Though I do think that this is one of the most fascinating kind of directors, you know, working at the moment. And so I think kind of people should make an effort to to see the film. Partly because it also um, incites thought. Yeah, it is a film that you come out thinking, well, you know, what is what does it mean? Hmm. And actually, I think it's quite complex thought. It's very interesting thought, you know, about, about gender and, you know, you know, what is to to be a woman and what is life and and what is love really um so i think the film addresses all of those in very inventive and terrorizing ways um so hmm. it's fascinating and i suppose you know there's a lot of these brutalist directors like gaspar noe you know who, who kind of make films that i find in many ways really disturbing yeah and that kind of you know nonetheless are uh, fascinating for all kinds of ways, not the least conceptual. And I think this fits to me, you know, within that realm, but from a feminist perspective, which makes it even more interesting. Well, absolutely. It's definitely a reminder of the new French extremity, mm. which was the kind of French film. I don't know if it's considered to still be going on, but this would fit within it, I think, yes. were it you know, considered. But that was the film French movement of around the early 2000s, which mm. Gaspar Noé fits into mm. quite well. And certainly early on, you know, in that opening sort of half an hour, mm. uh, the violence and the and the use of colour, so bold, uh, and the sexuality are big reminders of that. Um, although, I, I, actually, it reminded me so much of Gaspar Noé that, particularly in that long tracking shot which introduces you to the motor show, and you go around the whole thing, I was thinking, it, it's not as beautiful as it could be. Mm. There's something I wanted a little bit more. I, I, well, particularly in that long tracking shot, which is quite ambitious, Um I felt like I wanted more precision in it. Yes. Um, do you know what I mean? When she's dancing on the car, did you feel that it took time for framings to settle nicely? That sort of thing. I just I thought that was quite deliberate, actually. And, and it's one of the things that I really like about the film, because throughout, certainly all of the beginning of the film, what you get is uh, the film is sharply focused on faces but with a shallow focus, so that all the backgrounds... Yeah, yes. are out of focus. So you really feel that you're in these people's heads. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, 
So then it'll cut and you'll see a shot of the car showroom, right? But actually, you know, when it's focused on the, the, mm -hmm. the main characters, or it really is about like, yeah, the world around them is, is yeah, it doesn't exist. What exists is just their mm. being, yeah? Uh, yeah, it's, it's the connections and relationships between the characters yes. that are fundamental and that's where the film wants to keep you. But I do, I did think that it wasn't as ambitious looking as it could have been, as I might have wanted it to be. Um, I don't know. I thought some of the images were quite extraordinary. So um, Some, yeah. I would go beyond that, actually. I think if a film uh, is memorable for giving you, like, you know, a couple of images that you feel you've never seen before, it's, you know, it's one, it's one for the history books. And I think this one has several of that. I mean, you know, the, the nipples kind of uh, uh, leaking mm. petrol. I mean, I've never seen that before, <laughs> you know. And also that image of, you know, the shaved head, the pregnant body, the dirt, yeah, the petrol, the black you mm -hmm. know, stuff coming out of it. I mean, it, you know, I, I just thought the, full, the film is full of amazing imagery, actually. Yeah, kind of imagery that I haven't quite deciphered yet. I think um, there's imagery that is conceptually wonderful like that, but I, I think almost everything could have been shot more beautifully or more interestingly. Yeah, I, um, I'm, I'm not sure. I think it's, it's a, I think it's very, very good. Um, and, and actually, little things are fantastic because, you know, I'm trying to think, why do I feel such a sense of threat? Like that scene that I was describing earlier with all the men, you know, with their beefed up bodies dancing up and down. I mean, in a way, it feels almost like a gay porn film. Yeah. yeah, it was like a prelude to a gangbang or whatever, right? And actually, I remember scenes like that. You know, when I used to go clubbing, you'd have like gay techno kind of discos that were like a bit like that. You know, but it's so interesting how, you know, the film almost desexualizes that. So all you get is the threat, you know, not the sexual attraction to that threat. Yeah, I thought that was, you know, very interesting. Um, likewise, the shot where she's performing in the car showroom, right? And you're right in, in between her legs. The camera's right in between her legs, right? And it feels both very sexual and not sexy, right? So, you know, how she kind of creates this, really, you know, what kind of the shot length, uh, all of that that went into making it sexual but not sexy, I think is fascinating. The threat that you're describing, are you talking about the, um, the fire, fire station dance yes. scene? Yes. You know, what threat did you feel? The threat, the threat to Alexia or a more general feeling? Uh, well, a threat to Alexia that something terrible was going to happen. From, caused by the guy, done by the guys? Yes. The threat that I felt was that something would happen to her pregnancy due to being... Uh, oh no, I thought they would um, be... Jumping you know, around and they all were, They were behaving like Neanderthals, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was. About, yeah, it became a bit of a mosh pit, and they're jump, bumping into each other. And it's very right. testosterone fueled, uh, and you get and you get the sense that there's no fun in that, really. Yeah, so something that could be this, you know, it could have been depicted as joyous or sexy, or you know, but it becomes increasingly like, mm. yeah, brutal, right? The music part of that as well, um, very high tempo, kind of industrial sounding, with no real tune to it. Mm. It's just boom, 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 boom. That's right. It was a really good choice for that. Yeah. Amp that up. But actually, the interesting thing about that, that section of that scene, to me, was her attempt to integrate into it. 
you know, at the start you see her on the outside of this group, sort of jumping up and down and getting, you know, mm. kind of getting psyched up in a way. Um, and then she gets into the crowd, but it doesn't quite work out. Eventually, she, they put her up on uh, the fire engine, and that's when she becomes well, feminine once again. Well, her is to become the most feminine exactly. in quotation marks that, she's, that we've seen her be in the film, which is, again, a very fascinating thing. So, you know, I, I do think that, um, yeah, I think the film has great things. It is interesting, but I'm not interested in watching it twice. And I'm not interested on the basis of this of watching Raw. I think that you know, the thrills that I felt early on were cheap, despite the fact I think they are setting up you know kind of something to undermine or change later on. Um, well, that would make them non cheap. They were cheap at the time. Mm. You know, they felt, <laughs> they felt cheap at the time. You know, um, inexpensive, let's say. Um, <laughs> Uh, and despite the fact there is there is something very interesting about everything else that goes on, the development of the relationship with the father and everything that we've talked about, um, I also found it a little dull. Um, oh, I, know, I would have I liked more visual interest. Um, I didn't find it dull at go. all. I think it's uh, fascinating visually. Um, I think it's a great film. It's, it is just, it's true that uh, it's a film I wouldn't see again, uh, and the only reason is because I think I'm just too responsive, you know, to to all the brutal body horror elements of it. I mean, it's not for me. I jump out of my seat, but I don't jump out of my seat with pleasure. So you know, that's the only reason why I wouldn't see it again. I think kind of conceptually, uh, uh, visually, uh, uh, politically, it's done through a female gaze, which I think is, you know, very interesting. And it posits a, a, a figure that at least can be seen as trans at the center of it. I mean, what could be more fascinating than that, particularly at this period? Yeah, and it does so through the vein of a popular genre, which is, you know, the body horror film, which is not my genre, which is the only thing that I have difficulty with. But I think this is, you know, kind of an important movie. Okay. I won the award won for the best Palm film Dome. at Cannes, and I think, you know, I can understand why. And was France's entry to uh, the Academy Awards for yes. international feature and wasn't shortlisted, and uh, there was outrage apparently, but I mean, having watched it, you do sort of think, well, what did you expect? I mean, what are those 69 year old people looking at that <laughs> film? Yeah, what do you expect, right? Yeah. Like, uh, so, <laughs> which is probably a very ageist comment, but I think. You know, now without cause. Um, so anyway, what uh, is your summary? Uh, yeah, I mean, it is interesting. I just didn't like it as much as you. All right. Well, <laughs> on that note, a divided view here. So thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter. And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.